Welcome to today's Triple Z. The Triple Z Podcast is a daily program that you can use to help you fall asleep each night. Just turn down the volume, lay back, relax, and enjoy as you fall asleep. The Life and Achievements of Don Quixote de la Mancha is a Spanish epic novel by Miguel de Cervantes. Originally published in two parts, in 1605 and 1615, its full title is The Ingenious Gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha. A founding work of Western literature, it is often labeled as the first modern novel and one of the greatest works ever written. Don Quixote is also one of the most translated books in the world. If you enjoy our program, Please be sure to write us a review on your podcast platform and share us with a friend. You both might sleep just a little better at night. Our website is triple Z, that's three Z's dot media. You can also like and share our content on Facebook or our Instagram account ZZZ Media Podcast. Music for today's episode was provided by the Sleep Channel on Spotify. Chapter 36 Of the memorable quarrel between Sancho Panza and Don Quixote's niece and housekeeper with other pleasant passages. The occasion of the noise which the niece and housekeeper made was Sancho Panza's endeavoring to force his way into the house while they at the same time held the door against him to keep him out. What have you to do in this house? cried one of them. Go! Keep to your own home, friend. It is all of you, and nobody else, that my poor master is distracted and carried a rambling all the country over. Distracted, replied Sancho, it is I that am distracted and carried a rambling and not your master. It was he lent me the jaunt, so you are wide of the matter. It was he that inveigled me from my house and home with his colloquing and saying he would give me an island, which is not come yet, and I still wait for. Mayst thou be choked with thy plaguy islands, cried the niece. What are your islands? Anything to eat, good man greedy gut, ah? Hold you there, answered Sancho. They are not to eat, but to govern, and better governments than any four cities, or as many heads of the king's best corporations. For all that, Quoth the housekeeper, thou comest not within these doors, thou bundle of wickedness and sackful of roguery. Go, govern your own house, work, you lazy rogue. To the plow, and never trouble your jolt or head about islands or oilets. The curate and barber were highly diverted in hearing this dialogue. But Don Quixote, fearing lest Sancho should not keep within bounds, but blunder out some discoveries prejudicial to his reputation while he ripped up a pack of little foolish slander, called him in, and enjoined the women to be silent. Sancho entered, and the curate and the barber took leave of Don Quixote, despairing of his cure. Well, said the curate to the barber, now I expect nothing better of our gentleman than to hear shortly that he has gone upon another ramble. Nor I answered the barber, but I do not wonder so much at the knight's madness as at the silliness of the squire, 
who thinks himself so sure of the island that I fancy all the art of man can never beat it out of his skull. However, said the curate, let us observe them. We shall find what will be the event of the extravagance of the knight and the foolishness of the squire. One would think they had been cast in one mold, and indeed the master's madness without the man's impertinence were not worth a rush. Right, said the barber, and now they are together, methinks I long to know what passes between them. I do not doubt, but the two women will be able to give an account of that, for they are not of a temper to withstand the temptation of listening. Meanwhile Don Quixote having locked himself up with his squire, they had the following colloquy, I take it very ill, said he, Sancho, that you should report as you do, that I enticed you out of your paltry hut, when you know that I myself left my own mansion house. We set out together, continued together, and traveled together. We ran the same fortune and the same hazards together. If thou hast been tossed in a blanket once, I have been battered and bruised a hundred times, and that is all the advantage I have had above thee. And reason good, answered Sancho, for you yourself used to say that ill luck and crossbitings are oftener to light on the knights than on the squires. Thou art mistaken, Sancho, replied Don Quixote, for the proverb will tell thee that quando capitalit etc. Nay, quoth Sancho, I understand no language but my own. I mean, said Don Quixote, that when the head aches, all the members partake of the pain. So, then, as I am thy master, I am also thy head, and as thou art my servant, thou art one of my members, it follows, therefore, that I cannot be sensible of pain, but thou too oughtest to be affected with it, and likewise, that nothing of ill can befall thee, but I must bear a share. Right, quoth Sancho, but when I, as a limb of you, was tossed in a blanket, my head was pleased to stay at the other side of the wall and saw me frisking in the air without going shares in my bodily trouble. Thou art gravely mistaken, Sancho, answered Don Quixote, if thou thinkest I was not sensible of thy sufferings for I was then more tortured in mind than thou wast tormented in body. But let us adjourn this discourse till some other time, which doubtless will afford us an opportunity to redress past grievances. I pray thee tell me now what does the town say of me? What do the neighbors, what do the people think of me? How do the knights discourse of my high feats of arms and my courteous behavior? What thoughts do they entertain of my design to raise from the grave of oblivion the order of knight errantry? In short, tell me freely and sincerely what thou hast heard, neither enlarged with flattering commendations, nor lessened by any omission of my dispraise, for it is the duty of faithful servants to lay truth before their masters in its honest nakedness. And I would have thee know, Sancho, that if it were to appear before princes in its native simplicity and disrobed the odious disguise of flattery, we should see happier days. This age would be changed into an age of gold and former times compared to this would be called the Iron Age. Remember this and be advised that I may hear thee impart a faithful account of these matters.
Why then, quoth Sancho, first you are to know that the common people take you for a madman and me for one that is no less a fool. The gentry say that not being content to keep within the bounds of gentility, you have taken upon you to be a don and set up for a night and a right worshipful with a small vineyard and two acres of land. The knights, forsooth, say they do not like to have your small gentry think themselves as good as they, especially your old-fashioned country squires that mend and lampblack their own shoes and mend their old black stockings themselves with a needleful of green silk. All this does not affect me, said Don Quixote, for I always wear good clothes and never have them patched. It is true they may be a little torn sometimes, but that is more with my armor than my long wearing. As for what relates to your prowess, said Sancho, there are several opinions about it. Some say he is mad, but a pleasant sort of a madman. Others say he is valiant, but his luck is not. Others say he is courteous, but very impertinent. And thus they pass so many verdicts upon you and take us both so to pieces that they leave neither you nor me a sound bone in our skins. Consider, Sancho, said Don Quixote, that the more eminently virtue shines, the more it is exposed to persecution. Few or none of the famous heroes of antiquity could escape the venomous arrows of calumny. And therefore, Sancho, well, may I be content to bear my share of that calamity, if it be no more than thou hast told me now. Ah, quoth Sancho, there is the business. You say, well, if this were all, but they don't stop here. Why, said Don Quixote, what can they say more? More, cried Sancho. Why, you have had nothing yet but apple pies and sugar plums. Sir Bartholomew Carrasco's son came home last night from his studies at Salamanca, you must know, and as I went to bid him welcome home, he told me that your worship's history is already in books by the name of the most renowned Don Quixote de la Mancha. He says I am in two, by my own name of Sancho Panza, and also my lady Dulcinea del Toboso, nay, and many things that pass betwixt nobody but us two, which I was amazed to hear, and could not for my soul imagine how he that set them down could come by the knowledge of them. I dare assure thee, Sancho, said Don Quixote, that the author of our history must be some sage enchanter, and one of those from whose universal knowledge none of the things which they have a mind to record can be concealed. How should he be a sage and an enchanter, quoth Sancho? The bachelor Samson Carrasco tells me he that wrote the history is called Sidhamit Beringinus. That is a Moorish name, said Don Quixote. Like enough, quoth Sancho, your Moors are great lovers of Beringinus. Certainly, Sancho, said Don Quixote, thou art mistaken in the surname of that Sid, that Lord, I mean, for Sid in Arabic signifies Lord. That may very well be, answered Sancho, but if you will have me fetch you the young scholard, I will fly to bring him hither. Truly, friend, said Don Quixote, thou wilt do me a particular kindness, 
For what thou hast already told me has so filled me with doubts and expectations that I shall not eat a bit that will do me good till I am informed of the whole matter. I will go and fetch him, said Sancho. With that, leaving his master, he went to look for the bachelor, and having brought him along with him a while after, they all had a very pleasant dialogue. A sort of fruit in Spain, brought over by the Moors. Sancho meant Benengeli. Chapter 37 The pleasant discourse between Don Quixote, Sancho Panza, and the bachelor Samson Carrasco. Don Quixote could not be persuaded that there was a history of himself extant, while yet the blood of those enemies he had cut off had scarce done reeking on the blade of his sword, so that they could not have already finished and printed the history of his mighty feats of arms. However, at last he concluded that some learned sage had, by the way of enchantment, been able to commit them to the press, either as a friend, to extol his heroic achievements above the noblest performances of the most famous knights errant, or as an enemy, to sully the luster of his exploits, and to base them below the most inferior actions of any of the meanest squires. Though, thought he to himself, the actions of squires were never yet recorded, and after all, if there were such a book printed, since it was the history of a Nairan, it could not choose but be pompous, lofty, magnificent, and authentic. This thought yielded him a while some small consolation, but then he relapsed into melancholic doubts and anxieties when he considered that the author had given himself the title of Cid and consequently must be a Moor, a nation from whom no truth could be expected, they all being given to impose on others with lies and fabulous stories to falsify and counterfeit and very fond of their own chimeras. Sancho and Carrasco found him thus agitated and perplexed with a thousand melancholic fancies which yet did not hinder him from receiving the stranger with a great deal of civility. This bachelor, though his name was Samson, was none of the biggest in body, but a very great man at all manner of drollery. He had a pale complexion, but good sense. He was about four and twenty years of age, round-visaged, flat-nosed, and wide-mouthed, all signs of a disposition that would delight in nothing more than in making sport for himself by ridiculing others, as he plainly discovered when he saw Don Quixote. For, falling on his knees before him, admit me to kiss your honor's hand, cried he, most noble Don Quixote, for by the habit of Saint Peter, which I wear, though indeed I have as yet taken but the four first of the holy orders, you are certainly one of the most renowned knights errant that ever was, or ever will be, through the whole extent of the habitable globe. Blessed may the sage Sid Hamid Benengeli be, for enriching the world with the history of your mighty deeds, and more than blessed, that curious virtuoso, who took care to have it translated out of the Arabic into our vulgar tongue, for the universal entertainment of mankind. Sir, said Don Quixote, making him rise, is it then possible that my history is extant, and that it was a Moor, and one of the sages, that penned it? It is so notorious a truth, said the bachelor, that I do not in the least doubt, but at this day there have already been published above 12,000 copies of it. Portugal, 
Barcelona and Valencia, where they have been printed, can witness that, if there were occasion. It is said that it is also now in the press at Antwerp. And I verily believe there is scarce a language into which it is not to be translated. Truly, sir, said Don Quixote, one of the things that ought to yield the greatest satisfaction to a person of eminent virtue is to live to see himself in good reputation in the world and his actions published in print. I say, in good reputation, for otherwise there is no death but would be preferable to such a life. As for a good name and reputation, replied Carrasco, your worship has gained the palm from all the knights errant that ever lived, for both the Arabian in his history and the Christian in his version have been very industrious to do justice to your character, your peculiar gallantry, your intrepidity and greatness of spirit in confronting danger, your constancy in adversities, your patience in suffering wounds and afflictions, and your modesty in that love so very platonic between your worship and my lady Dulcinea del Toboso. But pray, added Don Quixote, good Mr. Bachelor, on which of all my adventures does the history seem to lay the greatest stress? As to that, answered Carrasco, the opinions of men are divided, some cry up the adventure of the windmill giants, some are for that of the fulling mills, Others stand up for the description of the two armies that afterwards proved two flocks of sheep. Some prize most the adventure of the dead corpse that was carrying to Segovia, while others say that none of them can compare with that of the galley slaves. However, some who have read your history wish that the author had spared himself the pains of registering some of that infinite number of drubs which the noble Don Quixote received. There lies the truth of the history, quoth Sancho. Those things, in human equity, said Don Quixote, might very well have been omitted, for actions that neither impair nor alter the history ought rather to be buried in silence than related if they were down to the discredit of the hero of the history. Certainly Aeneas was never so pious as Virgil represents him, nor Ulysses so prudent as he is made by Homer. I am of your opinion, said Carrasco, but it is one thing to write like a poet and another thing to write like an historian. It is sufficient for the first to deliver matters as they ought to have been, whereas the last must relate them as they were really transacted, without adding or omitting anything upon any pretense whatever. Well, quoth Sancho, if this same Moorish lord be once got into the road of truth, a hundred to one, but among my master's rib roastings, he has not forgotten mine, for they never took measure of his worship's shoulders, but they were pleased to do as much for my whole body. But it was no wonder, for it is his own rule, that if once the head aches, every limb must suffer too. Hold your tongue, said Don Quixote, and let the learned bachelor proceed, that I may know what the history says of me. And of me too, quoth Sancho for they tell me I am one of the top parsons in it. Persons, you should say, Sancho, said Carrasco, and not parsons. Hey day, quoth Sancho, have we got another corrector of hard words? If this be the trade, we shall never have done. 
Most certainly, said Carrasco, you are the second person in the history, honest Sancho, nay, and some there are who had rather hear you talk than the best there, though some there are again that will say you were horribly credulous to flatter yourself with having the government of that island which your master promised you. While there is life there is hope, said Don Quixote, when Sancho has grown mature with time and experience, he may be better qualified for a government than he is yet. If I be not fit to govern an island at these years, quoth Sancho, I shall never be a governor, though I live to the years of Methuselah, but there the mischief lies, we have brains enough, but we want the island. Come, Sancho, said Don Quixote, hope for the best, trust in Providence, all will be well, and perhaps better than you imagined, but no, there is not a leaf on any tree that can be moved without the permission of heaven. That is very true, said Carrasco, and I dare say Sancho shall not want a thousand islands to govern, much less one, that is, if it be heaven's will. Why not, quoth Sancho, I have seen governors in my time who, to my thinking, could not come up to me passing the sole of my shoes, and yet, forsooth, they were called your honor, and they eat their victuals all in silver. I, said Carrasco, but these were not of your governors of islands, but of other easy governments. Why, man, these ought at least to know their grammar. Grammarcy, for that, quoth Sancho, give me but a gray mare once, and I shall know her well enough, I'll warrant ye. But leaving the government in the hands of him that will best provide for me, I must tell you, Master Bachelor Samson Carrasco, I am huge glad that, as your author has not forgot me, so he has not given an ill character of me, for by the faith of a trusty squire, had he said anything that did not become a Christian as I am, I have wrung him such appeal that the deaf should have heard me. That were a miracle, said Carrasco. Miracle me no miracles, cried Sancho, let every man take care how he talks, or how he writes of other men, and not set down at random, higgledy-piggledy, whatever comes into his noddle. This jingle of the words grammar, grammarcy, and gray mare is an imitation of the original, which would not admit of a literal translation. The author, continued Carrasco, has made everything so plain that there is nothing in that book but what anyone may understand. Children handle it, youngsters read it, grown men understand it, and old people applaud it. In short, it is universally so thumbed, so gleaned, so studied, and so known that if the people do but see a lean horse, they presently cry, there goes Rosinante but not apply themselves to the reading of it more than your pages. There is never a nobleman's antechamber where you shall not find a Don Quixote. No sooner has one laid it down, but another takes it up. One asks for it here, and there it is snatched up by another. In a word, it is esteemed the most pleasant and least dangerous diversion that ever was seen. The extraordinary popularity of this work in Spain is exemplified in a story told in the life of Philip III. The king, standing one day on the balcony of his palace of Madrid, observed a student at a distance with a book in his hand, 
which he was reading every now and then he struck his forehead, accompanied with convulsions of laughter. That student, said the king, is either out of his wits or is reading the history of Don Quixote. Chapter 38 The discourse continued, also the wise and pleasant dialogue between Sancho Panza and Teresa Panza his wife, together with other passages worthy of happy memory. During this discourse Rosinante's name reached the ears of the party. Don Quixote took this for a lucky omen and resolved to set out upon another sally within three or four days. He discovered his resolutions to the bachelor and consulted him to know which way to steer his course. The bachelor advised him to take the road of Saragossa in the kingdom of Aragon, a solemn tournament being shortly to be performed at that city on St. George's Festival, where, by worsting all the Aragonian champions, he might win immortal honor, since to outtilt them would be to outrival all the knights in the universe. He applauded his matchless courage, but withal admonished him not to be so desperate in exposing himself to dangers, since his life was not his own, but theirs who in distress stood in one of his assistance and protection. That is it now, quoth Sancho, that makes me sometimes ready to run mad, Mr. Bachelor, for my master makes no more to set upon an hundred armed men than a young hungry tailor to go down half a dozen of cucumbers. Surely, Mr. Bachelor, there is a time to retreat as well as a time to advance, for I have heard somebody say, and, if I am not mistaken, it was my master himself, that valor lies just between rashness and cowhardedness, and if it be so, I would not have him run away without there is a reason for it, nor would I have him fall on when there is no good to be got by it. But, above all things, I would have him to know, if he has a mind I should go with him, that the bargain is, he shall fight for us both, and that I am tied to nothing but to look after him and his victuals and clothes. So far as this comes to, I will fetch and carry like any water spaniel, but to think I will lug out my sword, though it be but against poor rogues, and sorry shirks, and hedge birds, in troth I must beg his diversion. For my part, Mr. Bachelor, it is not the fame of being thought valiant that I aim at, but that of being deemed the very best and trustiest squire that ever followed the heels of a knight-errant. And if, after all my services, my master Don Quixote will be so kind as to give me one of those many islands which his worship says he shall light on, I shall be much beholden to him, but if he does not, why then I am born, do you see? and one man must not live to rely on another. Mayhaps the bread I shall eat without government will go down more savorly than if I were a governor, and what do I know but that the devil is providing me one of these governments for a stumbling block, that I may stumble and fall? I was born Sancho, and Sancho I mean to die, and yet for all that, if fairly and squarely, with little trouble and less danger, heaven would bestow on me an island, or some such like matter, I am no such fool neither, do ye see, as to refuse a good thing when it is offered me. No, I remember the old saying, when the ass is given thee, run and take him by the halter, and when good luck knocks at the door, let him in, and keep him there. 
My friend Sancho, said Carrasco, you have spoken like any university professor. However, trust in heaven's bounty and the noble Don Quixote, and he may not only give thee an island, but even a kingdom. One as likely as the other, quoth Sancho, and yet let me tell you, Mr. Bachelor, the kingdom which my master is to give me you shall not find it thrown into an old sack, for I have felt my own pulse, and find myself sound enough to rule kingdoms and govern islands, I have told my master as much before now. And so saying Sancho went to get everything ready for his journey. Sancho came home so cheerful and so merry that his wife was impatient to know the cause. My dear, cried she, what makes you so merry? I should be more merry, my chuck, quoth Sancho, would but heaven so order it that I were not so well pleased as I seem to be. You speak riddles, husband, quoth she, I don't know what you mean by saying you should be more merry if you were not so well pleased, for, though I am silly enough, I cannot think a man can take pleasure in not being pleased. Look ye, Teresa, quoth Sancho, I am merry because I am once more going to serve my master Don Quixote, who is resolved to have another frolic and go a-hunting after adventures, and I must go with him. What should I lie starving at home for? The hopes of finding another parcel of gold like that we spent rejoices my heart, but then it grieves me to leave thee and those sweet babes of ours, and would heaven but be pleased to let me live at home dry-shod, in peace and quietness, without getting over hill and dale, through brambles and briars, why then it is clear that my mirth would be more firm and sound, since my present gladness is mingled with a sorrow to part with thee. And so I have made out what I said, that I should be merrier if I did not seem so well pleased. Look you, Sancho, quoth the wife, ever since you have been a member of a knight errant you talk so round about the bush that nobody can understand you. Never mind, quoth Sancho, only be sure you look carefully after Dapple for these three days, that he may be in good case and fit to bear arms, double his pittance, look at his panel and all his harness, and let everything be set to rights, for we are not going to a wedding, but to roam about the world, and to make our party good with giants, and dragons, and hobgoblins, and to hear nothing but hissing, and yelling, and roaring, and howling, and bellowing, all which would be but sugar. Plums, if we were not to meet with Yangesian carriers, and enchanted moors. Nay, as for that, husband, quoth Teresa, I am apt enough to think you squires errant don't eat their master's bread for nothing, and therefore it shall be my daily prayer that you may quickly be free from that plaguey trouble. Troth, wife, quoth Sancho, were not I in hopes to see myself ere long governor of an island, on my conscience I should not stir one inch from my own home. Look ye, my dear, continued Teresa, if it should be thy good luck to get a government, prithee do not forget thy wife and children. Take notice that little Sancho is already full fifteen, and it is high time he went to school if his uncle the abbot mean to leave him something in the church. Then there is Mary Sancho, your daughter, 
I dare say the burden of wedlock will never be the death of her, for I shrewdly guess she wishes as much for a husband as you for a government. If it be heaven's will, quoth Sancho, that I get anything by government, I will see and match Mary Sancho so well that she shall at least be called my lady. By no means, husband, cried the wife, let her match with her match, yet from clout shoes you set her upon high heels, and from her coarse russet coat you put her into a farthingale, and from plain mall and the and thou, go to call her madam, and your ladyship, the poor girl won't know how to behave herself, but will make a thousand blunders, and shoe her homespun country breeding. Tush, answered Sancho, it will be but two or three years apprenticeship, and then you will see how strangely she will alter, your ladyship and keeping of state will become her as if they had been made for her, and suppose they should not, what is it to anybody? Let her be but a lady, and let what will happen. Good Sancho, quoth the wife, don't look above yourself, I say, keep to the proverb that says, birds of a feather flock together. It would be a fine thing, I trow, for us to go and throw away our child on one of your lordlings or right worshipfuls, who, when the toy should take him in the head, would find new names for her and call her country Joan, Plowjobber's brat, and Spinner's web. No, no, husband, I have not bred the girl up as I have done to throw her away at that rate, I will assure ye. Do thee but bring all money, and leave me to get her a husband. Why, there is Lope Tocho, old Joan Tocho's son, a hale jolly young fellow, and one whom we all know, I have observed he casts a sheep's eye at the wench, he is one of our inches, and will be a good match for her then we shall always have her under our wings, and be all as one, father and mother, children and grandchildren, and heaven's peace and blessing will always be with us. But never talk to me of marrying her at your courts and great men's houses, where she will understand nobody, and nobody will understand her. Why, foolish woman, cried Sancho, have you not heard that he who will not when he may, when he will he shall have nay? When good luck is knocking at our door, is it fit to shut him out? No, no, let us make hay while the sun shines, and spread our sails before this prosperous gale. Canst thou not perceive, thou senseless animal, said Sancho, going on, that I ought to venture overhead and ears to light on some good gainful government that may free our ankles from the clogs of necessity and marry Mary Sancho to whom we please? Then thou wilt see how folks will call thee my lady Teresa Panza, and thou wilt sit in the church with thy carpets and cushions, and lean in law and state, though the best gentlewoman in the town burst with spite and envy. Go to, let us have no more of this, Mary Sancho shall be a countess in spite of thy teeth, I say. Well, then, to let this alone, all I have to say is this, if you hold still in the mind of being a governor, pray even take your son Sancho along with you, and henceforth train him up to your trade of governing, for it is but fitting that the son should be brought up to the father's calling. When once I am governor, quoth Sancho, I will send for him by the post, and I will send the money withal, for I dare say I shall want none, 
There never wants those that will lend governors money when they have none. But then be sure you clothe the boys so that you may look not like what he is, but like what he is to be. Send you but money, quoth Teresa, and I will make him as fine as a Mayday garland. So then, wife, quoth Sancho, I suppose we are agreed that our mall shall be a countess. The day I see her a countess, quoth Teresa, I reckon I lay her in her grave. However, I tell you again, even follow your own inventions, you men will be masters, and we poor women are born to bear the clog of obedience, though our husbands have no more sense than a cuckoo. Here she fell weeping as heartily as if she had seen her daughter already dead and buried. Sancho comforted her and promised her that though he was to make her a countess, yet he would see and put it off as long as he could. Thus ended their dialogue, and he went back to Don Quixote to dispose everything for a march.